We are in a series right now on the miracles of Christ. We're over halfway through. And we kind of come to a turning point in the miracles of Christ right now. Um, let me bring you up to speed. Um, up until now, um, we have spent about two and a half years in the life of Christ. All the miracles we've talked about at this point have occurred in the first two and a half years of Jesus' ministry. The miracles from this point on occur in the last year of his ministry. So you're going to see a different level of miracle. You're going to see some different purposes. You're going to see some different responses from the people. At this point in the life of Jesus, because he's been doing his miracles, he's attracting more and more people. He has already taken the transition in the life of the disciples, and he has now at this point in his ministry commissioned the disciples. So he's looked at the 12 disciples and he said, I want you to go. I want you to be able to raise the dead. I want you to be able to heal the sick. I want you to be able to cast out demons. You have watched me for two and a half years do this. Now you go do it. And so that has already happened. So now we come to this miracle um, this morning that we're going to look at. And, it's, and it is very, very significant in the whole miracle of Jesus' story. And here's why. It is the only miracle out of 36 plus miracles that is mentioned in all four Gospels. There's only one miracle that is mentioned in all of the Gospels, and it's the one we're going to look at this morning. Um, you, I need to set the stage for what's happened. What's happened is because Jesus' popularity has grown, more and more people are following him. And Jesus is having a very difficult time getting away from people, honestly. And so what has happened is because of the demands of people wanting him, um, he tries to get away for a little while. In addition to that, Herod is starting to increase his persecution in looking for Jesus. In addition to that, John the Baptist has just died. Um, Herod has had John beheaded, and so now Jesus is also dealing with the loss of John the Baptist, and the disciples are struggling with the loss of John the Baptist. Because they're looking at it going, wait, 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 wait. You know, I mean, he, you know, John the Baptist was like in your corner, and he's now dead. Is that our fate? So this is a real transitional point for everyone. And so Jesus is trying to get away. And in the process of trying to get away, people follow. And so Jesus, not willing to simply just ignore them, ministers to them. And that's where we're going to pick up our story this morning. The story is the feeding of the 5,000. And you're going to find out it was more like the feeding of the ten to 20,000. And um, it is found in all of the Gospels, which is significant, because every writer is trying to present Jesus in a different sense. So when Matthew writes, he's writing to the Jews trying to present Jesus as king. Well, he's going to tell this story because at the end they want Jesus as their king. Mark is trying to picture Jesus as a servant, and Jesus serves the people in meeting their needs with feeding of the 5,000. Um, Luke presents him as the perfect son of man, and you see Jesus taking care of the physical needs of people here. And then John presents him as God, and you see Jesus here as God in doing what only God could do in this, in this story. So it's important for all of the writers then, when they're looking at the miracles of Christ, that, to say, hey, look, this is an important one. So they all tell this story. So we're going to look at it from John's view this morning, um, and I'll throw in some stuff from some of the other writers that aren't mentioned in John, but... Uh, Let's take it section by section. So here it goes. John chapter 1, and here's what it says. Uh, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he performed by healing the sick. 
Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival is near. So when Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Now he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So here, here's the story. Here's how it all, all plays out here. Is that Jesus had been teaching all day. Um, he sits down with his disciples. He's looking at all of these people. And Jesus realizes this is a teachable moment for his disciples, for these people. So Jesus looks at Philip and he says, notice his question, where do we buy bread for all of these people to eat? Um, and Jesus is testing him. Now, Jesus isn't trying to trick him or anything like that. But Jesus is just trying to get Philip to think this thing through because he wants Philip to really see the solution to this problem is Jesus. And so Philip, so Jesus says, hey, where are we going to get, you know, where are we going to buy bread? That's the question because he's trying to test him. He's trying to grow his faith. He's not tricking him. It's kind of like, um, I used to do this with my kids. Uh, like when we would, uh, if we were changing the brakes on a car, for instance, I'd sit down with my kids and I'd say, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Now, I already knew how to do it. I already knew what we were going to do. I already knew how we were going to do it. I already bought tools that we needed. I already bought tools that I didn't need. Uh, <laughs> I, had, I had it all planned. I already watched the YouTube videos. I knew how to do it, okay? But I wanted them to work through the process. So, you know, I would say, okay, so what do we do first? You know, well, we jack up the car. No, we don't jack up the car first. No, we break loose the lug nuts first. Because it's a whole lot easier when it's on the ground. Then we jack up the car after we've cleaned the shop, just because I want my shop clean. But, um, you know, I, I walked them through that whole process. And I want them to respond so that they know how to do it. That's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. He's looking at, he looks at him, and he looks at Philip, and he says, Hey, where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? And notice what Philip's answer is uh, going on. Uh, Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. He says, Look, in the other accounts it says 200 days wages. Here's the idea. He says, You know what? He said, If we took... Yours, if we took half of the average person's salary, everybody's going to get one bite. He said, money. He said, money. He said, you know how much money we're going to have? You want us to go buy bread? you have any idea how much money that's going to cost us to do it that way? And he said, I mean, just half of the year's salary is only going to give everybody a bite. That's the best we can do. And then notice what happened. Andrew, another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brothers, spoke up. You know how he's, you know where he sees the solution as? He's looking for the resources. He's going, okay, what do we got available? What do we got available? We got 5,000 men to feed. What do we got available? We got, hey, here's a little boy with five loaves, two fishes. He brings him up. Where he goes to him, he says, hey, see that, see that little kid over there? We can rob him. We can take it from him. We, we, we can get him. But notice what he says, how far is that going to go get so many? Now, in the other accounts, you know what the other disciples' solution was? This is great. Send them home. <laughs> Send them home. Let them go figure out their own thing. You know what? Let them go back now. You know, if they leave now, they'll be home before dark. That's their solution. So their solution is, 
get rid of them, push it aside, ignore it, go away. Philip's solution is we got to have more money. And, or, um, yeah, Philip's solution is we got to have more money. Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, his solution is, hey, look, maybe we can get more resources. Right now, this is all we got. We got five loaves uh, on two fishes. You know, that, that's, and by the way, when you think of loaves, what do you think of? You're thinking of like loaf? Okay, let me show you, let me show you this. By the way, if you eat euros, you know exactly what they are. Loaves. You know what these are? This is what my wife makes me buy. It, it's supposed to be a bun. <laughs> they suck all the air out of it. They smash it down. They throw a whole bunch of nuts, fruits, and vegetables into it. They call it healthy, and they're called sandwich thins. I buy them every week for my wife. I'm sorry. By the time I put a cheeseburger on there, bacon, and go like this, I just can't do it. I've tried. I just can't do it. Um, so I, I compromise and I buy the, the, the wheat, whatever, the healthy, whatever bun, real bun. Um, this is, this is kind of like pita bread kind of stuff. This is, this is when they talk about loaves in the Bible, this is kind of stuff they're talking about, right? Um, this is typically what they would eat because this could be out for a while and it's, it's more of a stale thing, so it could take the heat and the humidity and stuff like that. And so this is often... When you read in the scripture, this is kind of what it's talking about. Um, this is a little kid whose mom had sent him out, so he had um, basically a lunch, you know, some of this stuff and some fish so he could make himself a lunch or supper, whatever. So that's all they've got. Now notice what the text goes on. Here's how Jesus solves the problem. Notice what he said. Uh, Jesus said, have the people sit down. By the way, in, in this, you're going to learn a lot about God. In the, in, in just the way Jesus handles this problem, you see a lot of principles about God. Notice the first thing that Jesus does. It says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. The other accounts say Jesus told them to sit by 50s. Here's what you find right off the bat. God's a God of order. You need to understand that. I mean, look at, our, look at creation. Look at the seasons. Look at day and night. Look at the moon phases. Look at the way things are. God is a God of order. God is a God of precision. God is not, you follow this, God is not a God of chaos. And so often, one of the marks for whether something is of God and whether it is not, is whether or not it's defined by order or chaos. Because God's a God of order. And so one of the things that you see here is you see this idea here that he sits them down in order. All right? And then notice what he said. <laughs> About 5,000 men were there. We're not counting women and children. So we're just talking about men. 5,000 men. Now, if each one of those guys had a wife, and I understand some of them wouldn't, but let's just say they all did, we're now at 10,000. And if they had one kid apiece, we're now at 15,000. So you do the math, we're probably realistically talking at least 10,000 people. We could be talking much, much more than that. Now, when was the last time you were somewhere with 10,000 people seated? Okay. Um, I don't even know. What, what does a football stadium hold? 79,000 in Green Bay. Huh? 79,000. All right. So, so if there's 20,000 people, there's 20,000 people, you're talking about a quarter of the stadium full. 
boy, would those hot dog vendors not have a heyday. You know, because so you've got, you've got a lot. I want you to understand the numbers we're talking about here. This is a substantially large group of people. And then notice what Jesus does. <clears throat> it says, Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks. So, follow this now, because I don't want you to miss this. So, here's how I picture it. By now they got this little kid up there, and everybody's now seated. Jesus and the disciples are standing up. And this little kid's got five loaves, two fishes. And he comes up there to Jesus with five loaves and two fishes. And the disciples are standing there, and Jesus says what? Let's pray. Now, if you're a disciple, what are you thinking at this point? Really? Really? We're going to eat in front of 10,000 hungry people? I mean, there's barely enough for us. And you are praying. I don't know what he prayed, but I would have, I, it would have been an awesome prayer, I think. You know, Because I think the disciples, in fact, I'll tell you. The disciples, the disciples' heart was hard through this whole thing. And we know that because in the next miracle we look at, one of the things it's going to say is, the disciples did not understand the miracle of, of the feeding of the 5,000 because their hearts were hardened. And so the disciples are actually standing there. I think the disciples are actually standing there going, you've got to be kidding me. Really? We're going to pray and thank God for five loaves and two fishes with 10,000 hungry people. Really? This is what we're going to do? And Jesus prays. And I don't know what he prays. Lord, Thanks for giving us this food. And the disciples are going, yeah, right. I mean, can you imagine you sit down at Thanksgiving dinner and everybody's at the table. There's like a full table full of people and somebody walks up with a Swanson TV dinner and says, let's pray. You're going, you've got to be kidding me. And that's the scene. And so Jesus prays for these five loaves and two fishes. And then it says... Jesus then took the loaf, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. So then he looks at his disciples, and he says, Okay, guys, I think by this point they had collected baskets, all right? Because at the end they got 12 baskets, we know all. So I'm guessing each one of the disciples got a basket. And Jesus is standing there, and Jesus says, Okay, guys, I want you to start feeding everybody. And so Jesus starts pulling out bread, and the guys are going, Wait a minute, that's more than five. And what do they do? They walk out, and they start serving this group. And they serve this group, and they get rid of the basket, and what do the disciples do? They walk back up, and they get more from Jesus, and then they go back, and they serve the next group, and then that basket's empty. They do what? They go back, and they get more for Jesus. Now think about it for a minute. If you're a disciple, and you're doing this for a couple of, maybe an hour or so, what are you doing? You know, what, you know what Jesus is teaching you? You get from me, you give to others. You get from me, you give to others. You get from me, you give to others. And all of a sudden now, these guys are sitting here going, we get from him to give to others. Because you see, within the next year, Jesus is going to look at these guys and he's going to say, guys, I'm gone. 
but you have watched me for three and a half years. Get for my father to give to others. So guess what, guys? You're going to need to get for me what you need to give to others. And you know what, guys? My resources will never end. My resources are unlimitless. My resources are never-ending. I can keep giving. I can do this all day long, guys. And it says, not just, remember, Philip's, Philip's analysis of this thing was, if we had half a, day's, uh, half a year's salary, everybody gets a bite. And the text says, everybody ate till they were full. And if there were teenagers there, <laughs> I mean, really, they ate till they were full. And then at the end, this is what I love. What does Jesus do? It says, when they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Why? Here's a principle. You don't waste the resources God gives you. You don't waste the resources that God gives you. And God says, look, you know what? We've used that. Great. Let's gather it all back up. Let's bring it all, bring, bring back whatever. And it says that they gathered. Uh, they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. He said, next thing we know, we've got 12 baskets full. Now, you're a disciple. You're looking at this going, now, wait a minute. We started with five loaves. Now, we've got 12 baskets. And everybody's full. That's pretty impressive. And you think as a disciple, you're looking at it going, maybe I will follow you. You know, maybe, maybe there's, there is something to this. Notice the response of the people. Look at what happened. Um, here's what it says in uh, verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Any Jewish person would have associated this story with Elijah and the woman at Zarephath with the barrel of oil that never failed. And in the back of their minds, in their Jewish mind, they would have thought, because they were looking for Elijah the prophet to come. They would have thought, this is him. This is what Elijah did. The barrel of oil never failed. He kept going back and back and back and back. And now he's standing among us. The prophet's here. That's what the Jewish people were thinking. The other people, you know what they're thinking? If this guy can take care of us, we want him to be our king. And notice what, because what it said. It says, uh, knowing Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again by, to a mountain by himself. Jesus has to get out of their midst because they're, they're, I literally think, and a lot of Bible scholars believe, what they wanted to do was physically grab a hold of Jesus and haul him to Jerusalem and say, here's our new king, Harry. This is a guy who's actually concerned about us. This is a guy who takes care of our needs. We want him as king, not you. And so Jesus, knowing that this is not the time, crucifixion's a year off. It's not this Passover, it's the next Passover. So they back off real fast. Jesus gets out of there real fast. Why? Because the people wanted him to be king. And it's interesting to me because the Jewish people are looking at him as a prophet. The, the Gentile people and, and, and some of the Jewish, the, the, the not-so-religious Jewish people, are wanting him to be king, and the disciples are hard-hearted. The disciples don't get it at all. Um... And that's, how, that's the story. That's, that's how the story is. A um, couple of takeaways from us, for us and a couple of things that I think we can work on maybe applying in our lives this week. Here's the first thing. 
nothing's too small for Jesus to use. I think it's very significant in this story. He chooses a little boy. Children were not even numbered when they counted how many people were there. It's significant that it's a little child, a little boy that has these resources. Five loaves and two fishes among so many? Come on, not even close. But see, here's the difference. You don't understand the power that God has when God can, can take it and use it when you give it to him, even a little thing. That kid that they talked about this morning would have never thought a shoebox would turn into a wife. It was a little thing. You think as an 8-year-old or 7-year-old packing a shoebox, he's thinking, okay, God, please send me a wife with this. You know? No. Yes, you know, it's, one of those, it's a little thing. It's a little thing. The Bible talks about the widow's might, not the king's treasure. Um, when Elijah is, 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 is struggling with God, God is not in the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. God's in the still, small voice, that little voice. It's those little things. Don't underestimate the power of God to use the little things this week. It's the little things of you walking into office and saying hi to that person that nobody talks to. It's that little things like buying somebody a cup of coffee or dropping or, or pouring a cup of coffee for them and taking it to their desk. It's that little, you think about it for a minute. You think about your journey to come to Christ as Savior, and you know what I think you will find when you peel back all the layers? It was a series of little things. It may have been some great big thing for some of you, but for most of us, it was a series of little things that led you to that point. God takes great delight in the little things. Don't underestimate the power of the little things. Um, you know, because, because that is so, so significant. Because God says, look, those are the things I use. Because why? Because the glory goes back to Him. Don't minimize those this week. Don't minimize the fact that, you know, you go, well, it's just a shoebox. It's far more than just a shoebox. It is actually the power. Okay, look, let me put this in perspective. This, something like this, put in the hands of a 14, 12, 13-year-old kid, can literally give him a way to provide for his family for the next 50, 60, 70 years. It's just a toolbox. And it's probably full of tools that you and I have four, five, six of. Why? It's a little thing. But it makes so much difference, and I can't stress that enough. Second principle you see here. Right off the bat, one of the first things that Jesus does before he feeds anybody is he gives thanks. It's Thanksgiving, okay? So you know I'm going to say something about it. Look, we have been incredibly blessed. Now, if you sit here this morning and you think that everything that you have is because of you, you're sadly mistaken. If you think that everything that you've got is because of your greatness, let me remind you of a couple of things. Your health could have changed a long time ago and you wouldn't have been able to accomplish anything that you've accomplished. When God chose where you were going to be born, you could have been born in a third world country, but I don't care how much you got or how hard you work. 
you're only going to get so far. We have been incredibly, incredibly blessed. Most of us will sit in a... Look. I'm not trying to be crude, but I'm, I'm trying to be realistic. We flush our toilets with water that most people in the world would love to have to drink. That's how blessed we are. And I can't imagine me walking into some of these third world countries and hauling somebody in, and they're going, what? You flush a toilet with that? I've never seen water that clear. I've never seen water that clean. Now, I don't have to feel guilty for it, but I sure in the world don't want to take it for granted. And I sure in the world want to understand that it's because God has blessed me in incredible ways. And I think it's somewhat silly for us to step back and go, hey God, what I have is not enough. I should have more. Really? Man, come on. We have been so, so blessed. And Jesus starts this thing out. Again, I think the disciples thought he was crazy. By blessing five loaves and two fishes. Why? Why? Because Jesus wants them to understand we're grateful for what we have. Whether it be a lot or a little. They didn't understand God was going to make a lot out of a little. You know, I'm sure they're looking at it going, really, Jesus, you want us to be thankful? I mean, you know, I'm hungry. I'm going to take two of those loaves. But no, Jesus says, no, we're going to give thanks before we ever start out. And then here's the other thing that I think, and I think this is kind of the big takeaway for me in the story. Jesus presents these people with an impossible situation because he wants to see how they're going to respond. For some of you, you are up against some impossible things right now. God has dropped, for whatever reason, or allowed into your life some impossible kinds of scenarios. You know how you see the disciples handling it? One group of disciples goes, let's just ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. That's what some of you are doing. You're just hoping... That situation, that elephant in the room for you and your wife or your your husband or your kids or your family, you're just hoping it goes away. It ain't going away. It ain't going away. Some of you think the solution is to throw money at it. Then you think, you know, look, you know, you you don't understand. Things are really tight financially. If we just had more money, it would be okay. Okay, this is... This is hard for me to explain, but I've come to understand this. You don't solve money problems with money. You want a case in point? Do a study on people who've won the lottery. Why? Because you see, you don't solve money problems with money. You have to solve the money problems with the mindset first. The mindset has to change. Because what happens with people who win the lottery is, what happens is their mind doesn't change, and so often you will find them within two to three years after winning all kinds of money broke. Why? Because financial people will tell you don't solve money problems with money. You've got to fix the mindset first. Fix the mindset. Now, I'm not saying you can't like win the lottery, change your mindset, and then do okay. Um, but, I mean, that's not the way, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to fix that. You've got to fix that. And, and that, was, that was Philip's answer. It's like, okay, we just have more money, then maybe we could buy more, but, you know, 200 is not even going to do it. I mean, 200 days labor is not even going to do it. And then, like I say, Philip's thing was resources, you know. 
Okay, let's gather up. And that's what some of you, you know, it's like, okay, if I get all my resources together, that's the solution to my problem. You know, I, I, if I can, like, get that next degree or get that next promotion or get that next this or get that next house or, 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 or you know, if I had, you know, if we had, if we had like, four cars instead of two and it's the resources, you know. You're just trying to get more resources to solve the problem. You know, what the, pro- you know what the answer is? It's Jesus. Some of you have got this empty void in your life you got this hole, this, this, this hole, if you will, in your soul. Uh, some people call it a God vacuum, whatever you want to call it. Let me, let me explain this to you. The only, thing that, the only person that can fill it is Jesus. That's what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here. Guys, look, the solution to feeding these people is me. The solution to taking care of their physical needs is me. I'm the solution, guys. They didn't get that. And Jesus tried to illustrate it, even by, they didn't get it. I see a lot of people like that. They're trying to fill it with all kinds of things. They're, they're ignoring it, saying, you know, well, you know what, I, you know, I just don't worry about the duck thing, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to push it away. And, and, and then all of a sudden, as they start to get older, it becomes more of an issue, and they keep pushing it away, but then all their friends start dying, and they can't keep pushing it away, and they think that they can just ignore it away. You can't. You're going to die. I'm going to die. It's a reality of life. And the Bible's very clear. When we die, we go one of two places, heaven or hell. And the Bible's very, very clear. It's not about what you've done. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how clean you polished your life up. It's about whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, period. It's about whether or not he is the one who you have put your faith and trust in, period. Because you can never clean your life up good enough to be perfect, ever. And you can keep putting up. Some people try to fill it with money. They're like, you know, I just, uh, I, you know, I, I'm just going to keep getting more and more money to so that I can be happier. Money doesn't buy happiness. Doesn't. Well, let me pick, let me rephrase it. Money buys happiness for a moment. Money doesn't fill the hole in your heart. Money doesn't fill that, that, that thing that's missing. Some people try it by resources. It's like, okay, you know, I'm just more toys, more toys, more toys. You can try. But at the end of the day, when you put your head on your pillow, there's still going to be that emptiness there because the only way to, to fill it is with Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are believers... You need to understand this. The only way for you and I to serve other people is to go back and get our strength from Christ to go out and serve somebody else. And we come back and we go out. And we come back and we go out. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here this morning. Let God speak to our hearts so we can go out and do something different with our lives this week to make it count, to honor God with it. That's why we're here. And that, that's, what, that's what Jesus is trying to teach these people is, look, I'm the source. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, please talk to one of us. It's, it's not about jumping through hoops. It's not about membership or baptism or signing things. Or do, It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, for me, it was a 16-year-old kid. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Forgive me my sin. Be my Lord and Savior. 
Come into my heart. I want to follow you. I want to do it your way, not my way. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher. I'm going to heaven because my faith and trust is in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. That's it. And that day that I put my faith and trust in Christ, that void, that hole in my heart, that hole in my soul, if you will, was filled. And I try to, with my life every day, serve others by getting what I need from Jesus to be able to give to other people. And what I have found in life is this. You really want your life to have value? Give it away. Give it away. That's what Jesus said. You really want to learn what life is really all about? Give your life away. And you will find a joy and a satisfaction and a peace and a contentment that you cannot get any other way. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't find enough resources to have it. It's the only way. And that's what our prayer is for everyone here. And um, that's what my burden is and my passion is for everyone. So I end up by saying this. Allow God to use you and to use whatever you have. Be grateful for what he's given you. When you're faced with the impossible, realize that Jesus is the solution. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Let's pray. Lord, use us. God, for some may have never put their faith and trust in you, would you help them to do that? Lord, would you help them to understand that this whole Christmas, Easter season thing is, is, is not about Santa Claus and, and, and bunny rabbits, but rather, Lord, it's about you who came to die for us. It's about you giving your life for us. It's about you taking care of our sin on the cross. It's about a gift that you give us, that you offer us. And so, Lord, I, I pray that each one here today will make sure they have accepted and embraced that. For those that have, Lord, would you work in their hearts this week, today, to serve others, to be grateful for what we have, to realize, Lord, that our job, our task this week is to take the small things or the big things that we've been given and use them to encourage and to build up and to serve the people around us. And when it's all said and done, Lord, may you be honored and glorified in the way we have lived our lives this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen.